Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Amazing. Would you guys stand to give God praise? 10 seconds, let's go. Praise, make it loud, make it loud. Come on, let all of Grand Rapids know God is here. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, give someone a high five. Sit your butt down. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Oh. Woo! Who's glad to be found in the house of God this morning? Come on, the Lord is here. I said the Lord is here. The Lord is here. It is so good. I'm just, I'm great. I'm glad you showed up, um, but I'm really grateful that he showed up. I'm really grateful that he showed up. There is, there is nothing like when the train of his robe enters the temple and he comes in and he came in so rich this morning. And I was telling our team before this, uh, probably in the wee hours last night as I was up like a madman with the Lord. And uh, yo, do I have like any Holy Spirit heavyweights in the place that aren't afraid to get spat on uh, in the front row? I mean, like, where is my, where's my crew? What is this? I've got Hamza and Adrienne. Somebody better come fill these here seats and uh, catch, catch the Lord's anointed spit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> one time I was, uh, I saw, um, I was at a Tommy Pinkerton crusade and Tommy Pinkerton is amazing. He's the one dude who I totally give free license to use the phrase Holy Ghost and full on he's preaching the house down, but he did it with gum and I don't know what his deal was. And I caught the gum in my mouth and I've been preaching ever since. It was crazy. Um, so it could happen to you could happen to you it was gross uh no joke and then people were like you're gonna keep that right and I was like as long as I can I lost it at some point but I did keep it for a while anyways I know that's why I don't tell stories y'all I ain't got no good ones um but I was telling our team before this I said I feel like the Lord is just on this verse that Paul says that we enter the gates of our Lord with praise and thanksgiving he is echoing the words of David all throughout the Psalms that we all throughout the Psalms we are going to enter his gates with praises and thanksgiving friends how many of you know you got to come right if you're coming you got to come right if you're coming. I know we live in an over-graced, over-merciful, over saturated kind of doctrine of demons where we tell everybody all the time, you can come as you are. That's actually not true. There is a way to approach God. There is a way to approach God, and it's low, and it's humble. We don't get to come prideful and haughty before him. No, we come low, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you make much of my life? Amen? There's a way to approach him. There's a way to approach him. And I am telling you, if you're not right, you need to get right. And how you get right is you get low before him and you say, Lord, put a praise on my lips. Put thanksgiving in my heart. Show me how to enter your gates. Because for some of us, we've been coming to church for a long time. We've been a part of the church for a long time. And yet, we have found ourselves at bay. We have found ourselves in the outer courts. You live in the outer courts. You live in the outer realm. You feel like church is clicky. You feel like you don't fit in. You feel like nobody talks to you. You feel like you don't belong. And I am telling you, even if all of those things were quote unquote true, which they are not here, praise God. But even if they were true to some extent, you would find yourself, if you were low enough before him, 
you would get past all of the fake and the phonies and the outer courts and you would find yourself in the holies of holies and you would press in and you would find yourself face to face with the one, the only one that matters, amen? And from that place, friends, I'm telling you, I don't want to be stuck in the outer courts. I want to come through his gates. I want to run through those gates. I want to find myself face to face, to face with the one who matters. Amen. Oh, man. So we're going to come in. We're going to come with praise and thanksgiving. Praise and worship is different. Praise and worship is different. We're coming in with praise. It doesn't matter what our lives have looked like. We have a reason to praise him. Amen. Even if you are Job and you've lost everything in this season, I am telling you, he is still your God. He is still ruling. He is still reigning. And therefore, you have a praise and thanksgiving to be found to enter his gates. Amen? Come on. Well, this morning, we're going to continue the stewardship of our prophetic word for the year, fire upon the earth, coming out of Luke 12, 49 through 50. And I got to tell you, man, Jesus... Jesus is so clear. Jesus is so rich. Jesus has this way about him where he just makes it known. He puts all of God's creation on blast and he says, I, I have a baptism of fire and I am in utter distress until I can bring it, until I can baptize you. I would if it were already kindled. He is looking for a people he is looking for a body. He is looking for a bride that is willing to say, make me kindle, Lord, so I can burn for you. Amen? Is there anybody who's ready to burn for the Lord? Come on, I am telling you, it is not enough for you and I to sit on Facebook, Telegram, Twitter, and Instagram and complain about the state of our world and our government and our nation and the kids and all the things that are fastly on their way to hell and not pray to God, burn me, Lord, so I can be a voice in my generation. Amen? What? Amen. Say it with your chest then. Amen. Thank you. I refuse to let my generation go to hell. I refuse to have more available with God and not go for broke. Amen. It's what we do here. Yes, directly following service, we have a takeover kids and nursery meeting interest meeting up in the upper room. Just want to say that real quick before I get too far ahead of myself because I had an experience with the Lord right here this morning and I am, I am, I am torn up from the floor up, amen? So before I get off with him, I want to let you know, meet Pastor Adrian in the upper room for some vision and for signing up and for getting to know what's going to happen with Takeover Kids and Nursery in the future. Sound good? Okay. For week 39, the title of my sermon this morning, if you're taking notes, is the blue flame, the blue flame, the blue flame, the blue flame. And we're going to be coming out of, <laughs> help me Lord, if you've got your B-I-B-L-E's, open it up for me, coming out of 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 23, if you're there, say I'm there, if you need a minute, look on with your neighbor, but I'm sure... Miss Kelsey and Mr. Phil will have us held down in the booth. Can we just praise God for them holding it down for us back there? 2 Samuel 6, the blue flame. Come, Lord. Here we go. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel 
30,000. And David arose and he went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring upon from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Anibadab, I hate that name, Anibadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Anibadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps, tambourines. How many of you want some tambourines in church again? Yeah, come on. The, the castanets and the cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled. There's that word. Was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry. Because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Which means the God of bursting through. The God of breakthrough. Also I want to say this real quick. If God is good, which he is. That means there is nothing harsh in the word of God. If God chooses to kill someone in the word of God. The earth and the fullness thereof is his to do with what he pleases. He has a reason. There is not sin in him. So therefore it is not murder. It is justice and it is true justice. And friends, as difficult and as uncomfortable as that may be for you and I, God is not harsh. He is good. Amen. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord rem remained in the house of Obed-Edom and the Gittite. Three months the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the ark of God. So David went out and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, shouting with the sound of the horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out, Michael's his wife, of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord, set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offerings and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed to each house. 
And David returned to bless his own household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. I will make myself yet even more contemptible or some translations undignified than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. (laughs) The blue flame. Let's pray. Amen. Come on. Father, we love you. Father, you have been in this house, and I'm so grateful. Thank you for your presence here today, Lord. Lord, I sense, Lord, I sense contrarian spirits, God, contending against the house that you have established here at TakeOver. So, Lord, right now, I just pray against all spirit of witchcraft, moving against the people of TakeOver Church, moving against the movement of Jesus in Grand Rapids. Lord, I come against all witchcraft in Jesus' mighty name. Right now, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Search the hearts of the room. Search the hearts of those in attendance. Search the hearts of those listening later on. Lord, search our hearts, Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from us, but create in us, Lord, a pure mind and a clean heart, O God. And so, Father, right now, I ask in this moment that every other spirit goes back to hell from which it came, and so that only the Holy Spirit and his work can remain in this moment. So, Father, I thank you for everything you're doing, everything you have yet to do. Have your way, O King. O Creator, O glorious and magnificent one, how grateful we are to be accounted among the places you love to come. Lord, it is an honor. It is not a right. It is an honor. It is a privilege, God, to host you today. So come, Lord of hosts, and host us instead. And may we leave today with your glory upon us, looking far more like Jesus than we did coming in, God. I thank you, Lord, that you're not interested in me being better than I was yesterday, but me being dead yesterday and coming alive today. So, Father, call us awake. And we give you all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the power, all of the riches, and all other things you desire. Time, gifts, talents, treasures, attachments, affections. God, you deserve and we give over everything we possibly can. In Jesus, my name of faith, Bill Church said. Amen. Amen. The blue flame. The blue flame. The blue flame. I, uh, like we talked about last week, I'm, I, uh, I had an experience down here this morning. Um, much like that of last summer, um, except that last summer was at the end of service, and so I didn't have anywhere to go besides just to sit with the Lord. And, and man, I got to tell you, when he becomes so tangible upon you and around you, you get smashed into this here concrete, and there is something about this moment where I've been pressed into the concrete a number of times here, and I am telling you, suddenly, 
I understand why God had to put Moses in a rock in order to reveal himself to him because there are things, friends, there are things in us and on us and around us and with us that cannot come with us when we go into glory. There are things that have to be broken off of us that God would rather shove us inside of a rock to simply receive a glimpse of him. I believe he's calling each of us to see that today. I believe he's calling each of us to live for that here and now. There should be no other thing vying for our affection and our attention, for our allegiance and our affirmation. Instead, we say, Lord, if it takes shoving me in a rock to get me right so I can see you rightly, then find a stone and put me in it because I want to see your glory. I want to be radically changed. We established last week, we were talking about, about Jacob and, and we were talking about how God from Genesis to Revelation, it's clear, friends, it's clear, beloved. It's clear. It's clear, beloved, that God's plan since the fall of man, since creation has been a place for him to rest within his creation and dwell amongst his people. And you see, the reason we're going to talk about the blue flame is because the blue flame, the blue fame, flame is called the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. And the Shekinah glory it sits above the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a blue flame. It's white hot. It is the hottest point of a flame possible. It is the single hottest, brightest, most purifying, most destructive, most amazing part of the fire it's able to both heal cauterize draw out impurities and make right holy and beautiful all at the same time the shekinah glory and i know i know i know it's 2023 and some of us we grew up in some wild churches don't worry me saying shekinah glory is not followed by me pulling out the snakes that happens on tuesday you think i'm joking okay but the Shekinah glory, it's been so misrepresented and misused. But I got to tell you, friends, it was the Shekinah glory. It was the blue flame of God that raptured the heart of David, that ravaged his life, his kingdom, and his ministry. It is the thing that grabbed a hold of David, that made him a man, hear me today, after God's own heart. And we'll get to that momentarily, but we need to lay the groundwork because, friends, it's, it's, it's the Shekinah glory. It's the tent of meeting. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Tabernacle of David. It's the Temple of Moses. It is the Temple of Solomon. It's all of these things. It's the, it's the synagogue. It's the sanctuary. It's the church today. That God has a way about him. See, when God has a way about him, there is no other way. And when God has a way about him, there is no other way to him. When God has specific desires, his desires always come with requirements for those desires. He desires and he requires. Somebody say it with me. He desires and he requires. And he requires. There are requirements for his desires. If we would long to fulfill his desires, if we would long to meet his wants. I mean, friends, can I just be frank with you this morning? Can I be honest? The fact 
that God has any desires or has any wants is absolutely mystifying. Because he's God. God should have no desires because he doesn't have any needs. He's completely good all by himself. All by himself, all with himself, all around himself. He does not need you. He does not need the church. But there is a desire in God for you and for the church. You see, God desires and he wants you when he in fact should have no reason to desire and or want you. And friends, I think that divine invitation has got to be as serious as a heartache for some of us because I'm telling you, a lot of us, we live passive Christian lives. Passive of his presence, passive of his person, passive of his blue flame. I'm telling you, he has no needs yet desires time with you. He wants moments with you that surpass Sunday, that surpass Friday morning at prayer meeting, that surpass Wednesday night services and small groups. He has a desire and a want, and most of us live passive to his desires. And I'm telling you, when there is a desire, there's a want, there's an invitation from the Lord, and we live passive, Passivity might be permissible, but it is never beneficial. Passivity may be permissible. You may have grace. You may have mercy. But that doesn't mean that it is beneficial. And I'm telling you, there's this invitation to you and I in this time where he's low and the earth is quaking and the spirit is groaning and all of creation right now is crying out, Jesus is coming, ready the bride. Jesus is coming, ready the bride. Jesus is coming, ready the bride. You see, the bride isn't this vapid, shapeless, formless ideology or thought. The bride is his church. It's not random people who go to worship nights. It's not. Not sorry to say that. Because the bride has pastors, the bride has elders, the bride has a body, the bride has people that are God's people who do life God's way, who meet in God's places at God's times for God's purposes and God's presence. Amen? That's an alarm we need to sound desperately for Gen Z because we are creating passionate followers of Jesus, but they don't actually know him because they don't know his ways. And I'm telling you, we looked at it last week and we're going to continue to look at it today. God has a way about him. He has desires and you and I, we should long to fulfill those desires because it makes no sense that he wants us that he wants time with us, that he wants in our singleness, he wants in our sexuality, he wants in our marriages, he wants in our children, he wants in our prodigals, he wants in our business place, he wants in every area of our lives, he desires to be a part. And so some of us, we respond very nonchalantly. Some of us, we've gotten very casual with God. Can I tell you today, friends, 
getting casual with God will cause casualties to the people of God. Getting casual to God will cause casualties to the people of God. We can't be casual with him. He's still God. Yeah, but I thought he was father. He is. And as such, he deserves respect. Well, I thought he was savior. He is. And as such, he deserves honor. Well, I thought he was king. And as such, he deserves all authority. I thought he was friend. He is. And as friend, he deserves all respect. Are you seeing? Are you seeing how he's different from all of these other areas and thrones and crowns and hats and relationships that we have casual with? We get so casual. We have friends with benefits. And then we got friends with benefits. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? He's not a friend with benefits. He's king. He's not side piece Jesus. He's Lord. He's not weekend, deadbeat, visitation, dad. He is our heavenly father. And what he purchased through the rich blood of Jesus was the entirety of your life and the fullness thereof. Hear me today. This is a wake-up call. This isn't even in my notes. The Lord has pressed me into the concrete. He said, all of the creation is groaning except for my bride for my return. We've gotten casual. And friends, there will be casualties if we remain casual. And there's a way about God. There's a way that we come before him to come further into him. Come as you are. Yes, I agree. Come as you are. But as you get to the outer courts, you make yourself as you are low. And everything that you are, you take no pride in. In fact, you hand it over. And you say, God, the further I go into this place and go into this relationship and go into this realm with you, you decide what comes with me. And you decide what stays on the outside of this courts. And you call the ravens to pick over the bones of what I used to be because I am interested in the resurrection and the life that is found in the blue flame of God. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I know we come in hot and heavy today, but it's the only way we do here at TakeOver. This is not a gimmick. This is the reality of our lives. The time is now, friends. The time is now. And I repent on behalf of any other pastor before me in your life that has treated church as a casual gathering. We dress casual, we don't come casual. I don't care if you got skinny jeans on or a dress or a three-piece suit. You come, but you come lowly before the King of glory because in heavenly places, the only thing that is lifted and exalted above every other idea, notion, and place is Jesus' lowliness. It's the fact that he was lowly that made him exalted in heaven. So speaking of lowliness, let's look at a man, maybe you and I, we wouldn't think as being lowly, but I think it's because you and I, we, we, have a, we have a messed up perception of David. We do. 
We do, and I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna frame that for you today, and I'm gonna plead the case of David because honest to God, at the end of today's service, I hope we leave with lots of Davids and Davids, okay? I hope today we all take on the spirit and the mantle and the heart of David, and I'm going to explain to you why. So before you create this narrative in your head of what about Bathsheba and murdering her husband, leave that dead in the blood. Jesus doesn't hold it against David. Why are we? telling you there's a reason that God said to David hear me David is a man after my own heart now admittedly this phrase rocks me it challenges me it makes me think a lot about it but honestly it's mostly because I think we've gotten it wrong for 120 years I think that we've gotten it wrong I think it's very clear that we can look at David's life his victories his defeats his wins, his losses, his achievements, and his failures, his heights, and his depths. And we can look at David's life and we can see clearly that David may be a type and shadow of Jesus, but truly Jesus is the only man to ever walk this earth that is the direct radiance and representation of God. David is a type and shadow. He points to, he is a foretelling, he is a foretaste. He is both king and priest, and he points to whom the chief priest and chief king above all will ultimately be, Lord Jesus. And in fact, it comes through the line of David. And so this thought process has never, it's never sat well with me. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, I believe that's true, but I think we've got the wrong interpretation of it. I think you and I, we look at David and we go, well, he's the bar, he's the measuring stick, how he lived. And man, if God can forgive his Bathsheba failings and murdering her husband, then he can you know, forgive us. And all of that's true, but that's still not the point. It's just simply not the point. There's no way God is looking at David and says, he is my representation in the earth. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Are you following me? Instead, what I think God is saying when he pointed him out is that David's a man after my own heart. Pastor Matt, I don't understand. David's a man after my own heart. Not in the image and likeness, not in direct representation, not a stand-in for me, not a replacement thereof, no, 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 David was a man, a man, you and me, a man, a woman. David was a human, but he was a human. He was a man that was after my heart. David was after something. David was pursuant of something, so much so that God had a lot of followers God had a lot of people. God had a lot of Israelites and Moses and Abraham and all these guys. They have come and they've done great works. And yet something set David apart from all of the hall of faith in Hebrews. David was a man that was after God's own heart. You want to know how I know that? Because David didn't wait until he was in the palace to pursue God's heart. David was pursuing God's heart in the field. 
I'm going to say it again. David did not wait to pursue God's presence, God's blue flame, the Ark of the Covenant, his life. He did not wait until he was in the palace to pursue God with his whole heart. He pursued him in the field. He didn't wait for notoriety. He worshiped in obscurity. And before you think I'm going to give you some sort of self-help moment right here, I'm not. I am telling you a frank and stark alarm this morning. Friends, if you wait till you get to the palace to worship God, you will never worship God. It's because David worshiped in the field that God placed him in the palace. It's because David worshiped as a shepherd that he appointed him to the throne and anointed him as king. I am telling you, friends, if you cannot be trusted in the field, you have no business in the palace, and no one knows that more than God himself. Why? Because he exalts lowliness. So as much as you and I think David is this haughty, brash, conceited, arrogant, all these things that we throw at him, no, friends, He was low in a field and he remained low in a palace despite his faults and his failures, despite his achievements and his victories. David could be trusted with God's presence in a field when no one else was around. So therefore, David could be trusted with God's presence in a palace when all eyes were on him. You and I, we've got to get this revelation today. This isn't self-help, like worship him in the field, he'll get you to the palace. It's not about that. It's about a state of heart. It's about a state of life. It's about a posture in a man, a posture in a woman that says, I will be after God's own heart. In a world today where we live and we are after a great number of things, we want a big church. We want great toys. We want the boats and the minivans and the house in Rockford and 2.5 kids and a picket fence and three dogs. We want it all. We're after a lot. Many are after a lot, but few are after his heart. Many are after a lot, but few are after his heart. And I am telling you today, friends, I am telling you today, whether you find yourself in the palace or you find yourself in the field or somewhere in between where God found you and captured you and captivated you and where he exalts you and puts you on blast for the world to see and to hear or anywhere in between, how you approach him, how you pursue him, how you go after him is truly all that matters to him. He is looking, he is looking for psalmists in a field so he can put princes in palaces. I am telling you, we are out here praying against principalities. That means princes, princes of the air, princes of the unseen realm, princes of kingdoms that we can't see, right? Principalities. We are praying against principalities. But how many of us are found praying against principalities but are unwilling to be the psalmist in the field so that we can be elevated to being a prince in the palace? 
because the principalities of darkness, they can rage against us all they want, but if we've made ourselves low and we've kept ourselves low, and by the time it's time for God to exalt us high and we remain low even in the high places, I'm telling you, friends, there is not a principality, a demon in hell, or Satan, Lucifer himself, that can come against God's elect. If I preach to anybody this morning, God doesn't play the religious game. He appoints shepherds and he anoints kings. He does not play the religious, put on a mask, faux fake it until you make it, baby. He doesn't do it. He doesn't play the religious game. He appoints shepherds and he anoints kings. This is what he does. And so David, from the age of a young boy, he wasn't even Jesse's, on Jesse's top list, starting list, to be even considered. His own dad neglected him. Because much like Jesus, David was what? He was found being about his true father's business. He was out worshiping God in a field when they had to come find him to be considered for the appointment and for the anointing of a king. I'm telling you, what if you and I were so hidden in God that promotion would have to seek you out? That those dreams that you know God has called you to would have to come find you in secret? What if you and I were so enamored with him that the calling, yes, it's there, it's great, and we want it, but above the calling, we desire the Christ. And what if you were tucked away somewhere and, man, I had to come find you? Someone else had to come find you. Your workplace had to come find you. I want to give you more money to be here and do what you do in secret here at the hospital. <laughs> Will you come to the hospital nurse and just pray over patients? Intercede in the chapel? We want to pay you $100,000 a year just to come and sit in a chapel in Butterworth in St. Mary's so that we see bodies resurrected, lungs healed, and people come alive. Pastor Matt, that would never happen. What? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has planned for his people. I'm telling you, God would love to have somebody on paid staff at a hospital who is there to pray even in 2023. Are you joking? Of course that's in his heart. It's just not in ours. But now that I said it, and now that I mentioned it, some of us, we are going to be steadfast in pursuing it like David in a field before he's in a palace. And so David, David, he gets, <laughs> I love this. So David, it comes time. It comes time. David is finally ready to be king. And I just can't wait to be, right? We know it. David is losing his mind. He's stoked. He is on his way. He is marrying Saul, uh, yeah, Saul's daughter, Michael, she's crazy. She's got a boy's name, but you know what? It's kind of part of the deal. He's got to do it. It's going to be interesting. We're going to find out how it goes in a minute. And he marries her, and he finds himself, and literally, David's first order of business in the palace was David's first order of business in the field. What was it? Find God and get him here. Find God and get him here. You see, at this point in time where we roll up on 2 Samuel 6, when we roll up in these verses, all of Israel, Jerusalem, the city of David, they haven't had the Ark of the Covenant for 20 years. They misplaced God's presence on the earth for 20 years. 
That's way worse than Mary and Joseph when they forgot Jesus back at the temple. That's way worse. But if anything, it shows you, it doesn't matter if you're Mary and Joseph or you're all of Israel, all of us are capable of misplacing God's presence in our lives, in our midst. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? And so I want to ask you, where has God been the last 20 years in your life? Where has God been the last 20 seconds? Where has God been the last 15 years? Where's God going to be for the next 20 years in your life? If Israel and Mary and Joseph have seen what they've seen, experienced what they've experienced, gone through what they've experienced and seen with God, and they're still able to misplace God? Well, then friends, you and I for sure are able to be guilty of the same. I have misplaced God so many times in my life. No more. No more. We don't, we don't misplace God in pursuit of a great church. We don't misplace God in pursuit of a good marriage. We don't misplace God in pursuit of getting out of our single season before we are ready. We don't misplace God before awakening love before it's time. We don't misplace God. We keep him in his rightful place, his first place. Amen. The very thing about God is that he's incapable of coming in second. The second we attempt to place him in second, friends, he leaves. <laughs> He's like, I will not be a party to the crime of you putting me in second place. You come find me when you're ready for me to be one. You come find me when you're ready for me to be one. Doesn't mean that you're not saved. Doesn't mean that you're not on your way to heaven. It means God's tangible presence in your life, operating and acting upon you and through you. Friends, contrary to popular belief, he still takes his hand of favor off of people's lives doesn't take his Holy Spirit from you, but his hand, his hand has a way. God desires to have his hand upon your life, but there are requirements that come along with having God's hand upon your life. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? So speaking of requirements, so David is mental. David's like, are you kidding me? We don't have God? How do we not have God? We are Israel. We are Jerusalem. And we don't have God? And people are like, Nathaniel the prophet's over here like, hey. some bum left him in Canaan. I don't know. He's literally in a shed in the Canaanite land that our ancestors went and occupied, but we just left him there. We didn't take him into the promised, promised land. We left him in the land of giants. So David, he can't handle this. David's like, round the troops. How many? 50? No, all of them. I want thousands. I want thousands to go. And we're going to lead a procession, a funeral procession for the land of Canaan, but a wedding procession for God's return to his people. Amen? We're going to lead a procession, and I need to get Uzzah, and I need to get Ohio, and we need to get them, and we need to have them at the front. I trust their steady hands. And so what happens? They go. And something interesting happens that I don't think we really place a lot of stock in. But we need to because it's us. Ahio and Uzzah, it says they grab the ark and they place it on a new cart. Pause. They put it on a new cart. They put God on a new cart. Their idea of bringing God into his procession, into his promised land, into Jerusalem, was, you know what? God deserves something new. You know what? Even if he's not doing a new thing, we're going to do a new thing. 
Here's my new church, here's my new cart, here's my new idea, here's my new songs, here's my new message, here's my new graphics, here's my new stuff, here's my new boyfriend, here's my new husband, here's my new wife, here's my new... Are you seeing a pattern? And so instead of following through on Exodus 25 when the ark is first established and God shows Moses how we ought to host him, not handle him, host him, not drive him, All of a sudden, we go to Exodus 25, and we see God says, no, 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 no. I've got four rings on the side. I want a horizontal bar, and on those bars, I want four Levites on each corner, four priests, not driving him, but upholding him, taking him where he longs to go, not driving him where we wish him to go. And so all of a sudden, not only are we putting him on a new cart when he prefers staves, I believe is what it's called, put some staves down. So not only are we not doing God's old commandments, instead we've replaced his old commands with a new cart. Doesn't that sound like 2023? We don't do God's old theology, we do our new theology. No, no, we don't do God's old sexuality, we do our new sexuality. They couldn't possibly have understood the intricacies of the human being back then. So we're doing a new cart. How foolish. How foolish. How foolish. Literally, David said in the psalm, like the worst thing you can, or yeah, in the psalm, the worst thing you can call, no, uh, Solomon in a proverb said, the worst thing you can call someone is a fool. Anybody who tries to go against God's oldest ways in, in lieu of a new cart and a new method and a new time for a new people and a new generation is a fool. God has ways about him, and they've always been his ways because Jesus himself says, what? I am, to, I am the same today, tomorrow, and bet your last bottom dollar boy forever. That's who he is. He doesn't change, even if we do. Even if the world decides to stop spinning, he is still the same God. Amen. And so in this moment, Uzzah and Ahil, they done messed up, boy. They end up going onto a threshing floor. And what's interesting about a a threshing floor is how you separate the wheat from the chaff. You're getting out the the wheat from the chaff. When it's time for harvest, it's time to make some bread. It's time to make some leaven. It's time to come up with these things. There's a separation that needs to take place. And so they put it on the threshing floor, and they begin to separate the wheat from the chaff. Except in this moment, the only thing that was separated was Uzzah from his life. There was a clear separation of the wheat and the chaff in this moment. The wheat is how he ordered it. The chaff is what we have to get out. Can't come with us. This new cart method doesn't work for God. He told you a long time ago in the days of Moses, you put some staves on this bad Jackson and I will tell you where to take me. Instead, Uzzah and Ahio they decided they were going to drive God through uncertain lands. The oxen stumbled because it's uneven, and they thought a brand new cart would be their saving grace. And when the cart tipped over, what did Uzzah do? He tried to pull it back in like it was a basketball game. God will not be handled by you. In fact, God refuses to be put in situations where you can handle him. He's not interested in being manhandled. 
He's not interested in being Matt handled. He's not interested in being you handled. He is only interested in us hosting him how he says to host him. He is only interested in us upholding him and his ways and his statutes and his commandments as he has explicitly said time and time again, not how we think. We thought, wouldn't it be cool if God doesn't care if you put him in a Bugatti. He does not wake up in a new Bugatti. He goes where he goes, how he goes, where he goes, how he goes, and when he goes. Why? Because he's God. I know that was an old song. I understand. I haven't listened to rap music in a long time, okay? I'm telling you, friends, the second we think we've got a handle on him, he breaks out. The second we think we can drive him how we want to and take him where we want him to go. No, no, no. We don't call him. He calls us. Our response is to cry out, not drive out. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. He calls, we cry, we host, we don't drive. Because what happens here is God breaks out against Uzzah and straight up ends his life, making a prophetic statement for all of time. You will host me, you will come to me rightly, I will be your God and everything that that means, I will be, I promise you. But you, if you want to be my chosen people, I have requirements to meet that standard. There are ways to approach me. There are ways to do church. There are ways to have marriages. There are ways to have a sex life. There are ways to have an identity. There are ways, friends, that a nation prospers. There's a way, friends, that you go about promotion. There's a way, friends, that you go about serving in the temple and serving in the world. There are ways to him. And we need to be, come on, friends, I'm telling you, as much as I want a revival of the spirit, I want a revival of the Bible. Listen, I am not a Satanist at all. In fact, I am so far the other direction. I, I think Satanists have problems. Uh, let's leave it at that. If you don't believe the gifts and spirit are for today, you are an absolute idiot. And I have no problem telling you that. Hopefully I save your life and others through your life. Amen? Cease the Satanism, bro. Get filled with the spirit. I'm telling you. I am telling you. We need a revival, not just of his spirit, but of the Bible, because we need to learn his ways. He told us about him. Friends, how many things in our lives have to die before we host him rightly, before we behold him correctly, before we look at his face the way he says we are invited to look at his face. I am telling you, glory follows order. Every temple... From the tenth of meeting to the human who hosts the Holy Spirit, there is an order for God's glory to shine, to burn, and to go forth through and in. Amen? There is an order. And when we are out of order and when we are in disorder, that is when we see moments like Uzzah happen and it freaks David out. Freaks David out because David is still a man after God's own heart. He's pursuing God's heart, but sometimes in pursuit of God, we get a little freaked out about some things. Message to the church. 
If someone's wailing up front during a message or during worship and God is delivering them or he is just kissing them in that moment, I know that's weird language. I get it. Just get over it. It's Bible language. I love the Bible. Whether he's kissing them or delivering them, he's moving in this room. And in fact, our good and right response should be interceding for him from our seats or coming up and touching him, hoping whatever on them gets on us. Bottom line. We shouldn't be afraid of these things. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a moment where we're afraid of the moves of God because we don't understand the moves of God. And then we leave him in Obed-Edom. Do you know what Obed-Edom is? Obed-Edom is a man. His name's Obed. He's from Edom. Obed means servant. David leaves God, not just in the land of Canaan again, but in a servant of Edom, not even like a high priest, not even like a king, not a queen, not nobody, just a servant's house. Leaves him at a servant's house with his five kids and his wife, a poor servant and his poor family. That's where David says, we're going to stash God so I can figure out what to do with him. Isn't that us? Isn't that us? When we get scared of God, when we get worried about God, when we don't really understand God, we decide to leave God in some unlikely places, in some places that we're really not thinking about, that we're not planning on coming back to for a while, and we leave him in a place that he doesn't belong. But do you know what happens? This is amazing. You see, instead of being a shed in Canaan, he's now in a home in Edom. And what has God desired since Genesis 1 and all the way through Revelation? A home. And so all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if you're a servant, doesn't matter if you're a king, doesn't matter if you're a peasant, if God is placed in a home, guess what God does in that home? He blesses the home, all the family that are in it, the kids, the wife, grandma, grandpa, aunties, uncles, doesn't matter who it is. Whomever in the family of the home is found in the home, when God is in the home, they are blessed. So you know what that means for you and I in this home? We want to get God here. And we want to get God here and we want to keep him here. We want to get God here and we want to keep him here. So we're not going to get freaked out when he starts moving in our midst. Instead, we're going to embrace what he does and say, God, even if we're here for 10 hours, I don't care, Sh stop, okay? This is God we're talking about. If he's in the room and he's moving and people are getting delivered and sin is being confessed and limbs are growing and cancer is dying and marriages are being resurrected and homosexuality is fleeing and we're seeing curses broke off this generation that we're gonna stay put for 10 hours. Because he's God. Nothing is as important as him. Nothing is as needed as him. Nothing is worthy of our attention of him. It's him. We're here for him. You're not here for you. You're not here for me. You don't care what I have to say. Quite frankly, I don't care what you have to say. Friends, we care what he has to say. And then it's out of that place that you love me and I love you. Friends. Beloved. That's what I'm going to call you from now on, by the way. I love how Jesus spoke. My beloved. 
He leaves him in Obed-Edom's house. And what happens? Obed-Edom hosts him well. Obed hosts him well. He doesn't try to drive him. He doesn't twist his arm. He doesn't break in on him trying to demand blessing. No, he just hosted the blue flame, the Shekinah glory of God. He made a place where God could rest, where God was comfortable, where God didn't need to break out against this poor servant family, but instead God was loved well. Is God loved well in your home? Is God loved well here? Is he hosted well here? Is he hosted in your home? I don't care if you're a single mother, a single father, a grandparent, mom and dad, you got kids at home where they've flown the coop or where you find yourself in this place of your home. I don't care if you're single. Is God loved well in your home? Is God hosted well in your home? Do you try and handle God or do you host God? Is your home a place where if God showed up, he gets manhandled? Matt handled? Or when God shows up at your place, he is hosted. And suddenly he pulls the Jesus juke of a lifetime and the guest of honor becomes the Lord of hosts. I said the guest of honor becomes the Lord of hosts. I said the guest of honor becomes the Lord of hosts. If I preach to anybody this morning, and suddenly, David gets a report for three months. God is blessing. God is multiplying. God is exalting the house of Obed-Edom, a servant in an unlikely place at an unlikely time where God is doing unlikely things. And yet... Because of the posture of Obed, I'm just grateful that you're here, God. Me, a servant. Me, the least. Me, the less. I got no money. I can't pay you to be here. You're not my divine entertainer. This isn't a paid appearance. He doesn't have a residency like Katy Perry in Las Vegas at my home. No, he was the guest of honor and he quickly became the Lord of hosts. Nothing I offer him is what brought him here. It was just my willingness to love and host him well. So instead of breaking out against, he blesses within and he blesses through. Instead of breaking out and killing, he blesses in and he blesses through and he raises to new life a family that was less than so much so that what he does in their home attracts the attention of the king of Israel. The Bible's better than you think it is. God is better than you think he is. The Bible's better than you know it to be. And God is better than you know him to be. And I'm telling you, it is a wellspring of life, friends, that we need to get more than acquainted with. We need to approach him with fear and awe Because much like Uzzah, he got casual with his new cart. And he was a casualty of that new cart. God doesn't need your fresh coat of paint. God doesn't need you to be his personal PR agency. 
God is not in need of new representation in the earth. God is in need of a bride that loves his son and is filled with his spirit who would give their lives for the blue flame. And when I say lives, I don't just mean your physical mortal coil. I mean your money. I mean your time. I mean your availability. I know it's a silly old colloquialism that we have in the church today. I get it. But I am telling you, it's God's honest truth. God will exalt the available over the gifted every time. Why? Because the gifted is coveting their gift. And the available is just saying, here I am, Lord, send me. I preach to anybody this morning. I don't care how gifted you think you are. You are not gifted enough to get God to look twice your direction. But when he searches all the earth and he finds the available and the faithful, he's coming. Will we host him well in this house? I've got to know. I've got to know. Will we host him well in this house? Yes. Will we love him well in this house? Yes. Amen. Because this is what happens. David goes and he gets God. He goes and he gets God and he leads a procession once again. But this time, hear me today, this time is different. Oh, you ain't even ready for this. The second we drop this this morning, your mind is going to be blown. Mine was split in two like an Adam, bro. It's insane. In this moment, Adam, or not Adam, David comes rightly. You want to know what happens? Exodus 25 happens. Next thing we see is David goes, gets the Ark of the Covenant, and what? He's wearing a linen ephod. And what is a linen ephod? It is the garment of a priest. It's a garment of the priest. It's the garment of the priest. He goes back and he realizes it's not a new cart. It's not a new way. It's not Uzzah or Ahia or any other jabroni that I can fool into taking God. It is me, his king, coming as a priest and going with how God says to go. I appreciate anybody this morning. It's not about new carts. It's about old commandments. It's not about new ways. It's about his ways. He's the same God. And so David gets right. And he comes in a linen ephod. He takes off his kingly garments to go pursue the king. And what's he do? He presents himself as a priest. This is how I host God. I'm not driving God. I'm not handling God. I'm not ordering God around. He is not my subject. I am his subject. And as such, I will be a priest to the true king. I'm leaving my crown in Israel. And I am coming as a priest before him on the threshing floor. The Lord is in this room. And it's not just because I'm insane and I'm going hard. The Lord is in this room. I can feel him. And I'm not talking about emotions. I'm talking the tangible presence of God is in this room. Everything in this room right now is turning towards him. Everything in this room is being drawn towards him. If you are finding yourself looking at something else right now, being drifted somewhere else in your mind or in your heart, friends, I am telling you at the end of service, you are in desperate need. Hear the alarm to find yourself right here at the altar. You don't need a pastor to pray over you. You need to look in the eyes of the one whose eyes are fire, his hair is wool, his feet are bronze because he's walking through hell and he has you. Amen? And so David, what just happened? So David, he gets him, and he's leading this procession. But see, David comes right. David comes right. You see, David understands 
that when you come before God, seriously, this is it. This is the blue flame. Hear me. This is his pursuit. Listen, friends, I am telling you, I am telling you today, the heart of David, the heart of David, it's not casual. It should be contagious. The heart of David, it's not casual. It should be contagious because there's a way to respond to him rightly. And so David, he comes as Lin and Ephah, but David, David knows when he's coming to the king, he doesn't come empty-handed. When you come before the king, you don't come empty-handed. When you come before the chief ruler of all the world, you don't come empty-handed. So what does David do? David doesn't just come with last night's leftovers that Michael half-baked and hoped to food poison him with. We can all agree that's probably how that goes. Michael and David, the Phantom Thread movie, it's totally them. She just poisoned him with bad mushrooms all the time. No, David, he comes with the best. So what does he do? He gets all of his oxen. He gets all of his oxen, the oxen that till the fields, the oxen that he puts a yoke upon, oxen that he uses to what create wealth in his kingdom. Oxen that he uses to exalt the name of God in all the earth to make great the kingdom of Israel. His best oxen, he grabs them, followed by what he says is fat in animals, and I'm assuming fat in calves, but knowing David, he's like, I'm just giving God the best. So we got a fattened giraffe, we're bringing that. Like, we got a fattened elephant, we're bringing that. We got a hippo that's far behind, we're bringing that. Whatever he had, clearly he was bringing, he fattened them up. We don't know how long after the report of three months he started to go. We don't know when he started to get ready, but it's clear what? He rounded up what was the best of his kingdom and he fattened what maybe wasn't the best to still bring a good offering. So what does that mean for you and I? Friends, there's a way to approach him. We come as priests. We are what? A holy nation and his royal priesthood. Suddenly, the priests went from God's few to God's called. Amen? From God's few to God's called. That means it went from a few in Israel to all those who would call upon the name of the Lord and profess in their hearts that he is Lord shall be saved. And guess what happens? We then get filled with the Holy Spirit and we become a royal priesthood. Friends, you and I, we are priests before God, not just me as a pastor. You, mom, you, dad, you, single person, whoever you are, grandma, grandpa, you are a priest of God. It's not about a ministry or a vocation. It is about a place in his kingdom, and he calls you priest. He calls you a holy nation. And so therefore, we come with linen ephods called the blood of Jesus already dripped over us. But what we don't bring is the linen ephod of the blood of Jesus. What we bring, friends, is an offering. And no, this is not circling into a tithing message, although that is clearly part of it. It's about bringing God our best. Some of us, we come to not just church, but any other time where we come before him, even in our own closets, even our own secret place, even in our time before we go to bed, we come to him and we're tired. We haven't prepared. We haven't slept some more on Friday to make sure we were vigilant and energized and ready and hungry come Sunday. We come to him so casually. It's not what David was enamored with. David was enamored. David was captivated. God, David come on. David was in love with the blue flame of God. Worship team, you can make your way up here. David was in love 
with the blue flame of God, so much so that David wanted to convince God of his love. God has already convinced you and I of his love through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When was the last time that we convinced God of our love for him? When's the last time that you and I, we just went so low and we dug such a deep well and we just said, God, I love you and I'm not moving, I'm not going, I've brought you my best, here's my heart, here's my mind, here's my soul, here's me so well rested. God, I slept so much yesterday and I took this day off so I could simply seek you. God, today, I'm not interested in going to beat-ups. God, today, I'm not interested in having a self-care Sunday. God, I'm not interested in going shopping and having some sort of retail therapy session. God, I'm coming. I've set apart this day. I am well rested. I am fasted. I've come hungry. I've come thirsty. I am bringing my oxen. I am bringing my fattened animals. I'm bringing whatever I could find in my kingdom that I thought was worthy of you. See, friends, what David didn't bring him was leftovers. He didn't bring him moldy food he didn't bring him food that was already uh, that was already offered to other idols or that was offered to him before or that he found in the priestly temple already no he brought him a fresh new purposeful well fattened and intended he sought it out and he came before god and he said i'm leading a wedding procession for you and god i want to convince you how much i love you I need you to know you don't belong in Canaan. You don't belong in Edom. You belong in the city of David because you have a place in the heart of David. And so God here, every six steps I will sacrifice for you. I will take that which is pure, that which is blameless, that which I have purposed and placed and fattened and fed, and I have taken so much time and I've asked so much of my people and God if you don't come with me to Jerusalem this endeavor of mine could bankrupt the kingdom because I brought all my riches to you and I will slay them at your feet every six feet God to show you my affection show you my affection (laughs) how do we show him our affection David comes dancing into the city of David and his wife looks at him like this bum this fool this idiot he's undignified He's coming in. He's not acting like a king. You're right, Michael. He's not acting like a king. He's acting like a priest because he's a priest before God. And so he gets undignified. He gets abased in her eyes. And she tries to shame him by saying, look at the young women you're leading astray, you grown man, baby king in your underwear. And he says, I'll be abased in your eyes, you wretched woman. But in the servants, oh, I will be held in honor because I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them how to respond rightly before God. 
rightly before His presence, how to fall in love with the blue flame, the sapphire, the Shekinah glory, that when God comes, there is one good and perfect response, and it is undignified. It is well-oiled. It is well-given. It is well-offered, and it is purposeful. Friends, it's the hour where we will either be abased before men or we will be barren men. Michael was barren. She found David as a priest, abased in her eyes. She despised him for his love for God. Friends, our love for God in this hour will make us a base before men. But if our love for God grows cold, guess what? We will be barren men and barren women. There's one way that God breathes. There's one way that God rose. There's one way that God goes. There's one way that God flows. There's one way with God. And it's coming after his heart. Yeah, sure, we need people to tithe, but God needs your heart. God needs your heart. If he gets your heart, there are your treasures, there's your talents, there's your kingdom. He wants a heart. If he gets your heart, there goes your sexuality. He gets your heart, there goes your purity. He gets your heart, there goes your marriage. He gets your heart, there goes your single season and your long suffering and your grace and your kindness and your boldness and your brazen. All goes towards God when God has your heart. So I want to invite you. We're going to pray and we're going to sing. I think it's thank you. Is it the thank you song? We're going to sing thank you. And I encourage you, get a base before him. Come, be so undignified. If you're in this place and your attention, your affection, your heart, your body, your eyes have been lingering and looking to the left, to the right, to your phone, so help me God, if you've been playing games on your phone, I pray he strikes that dead as you live with a track phone and dial up internet the rest of the days of your life because he is worthy in his house and he is worthy in your house and he's worthy in the streets and he's worthy in the procession and he is worthy and we're gonna sing thank you. So if you're in this place and your heart has lingered, your heart has wandered, your eyes have looked around, I encourage you right now, you come to this altar. There's no judgment. I'm not judging you. I am sounding the alarm of your salvation and saying, if you can't feel the presence of God in this place, something is off and you need to get it right. Something was off with David the first time he approached him. He did it wrong, but because of the posture of his heart, he was able to pursue God out of his kingship and back into the priesthood. I'm telling you, the same could be for you and your boredom. Back into the priesthood. Your arrogance, back into the priesthood. Your apathy, back into the priesthood. So Father, as people come forward, as you direct, Lord, right now, right now, Lord, we just give you this moment 
Father, would you teach us to fall in love with the blue flame? Can we just get a glimpse of the flicker of the sapphire? And may it rapture our hearts. May it raven us, God. May it come. Ravage us, God. Turn us up. Turn us over. Turn us out and take us over. God, do something in this moment. Freshly saved, seasoned saint in me. For the preacher to the parking lot team, God, come. I want to see you how David saw you. I don't want to be barren. I want to be abased. I want to be well honored. I want to be low. God, we all, we want to live lives where we're just low. Right now, Lord. There are some men in here that need to lead their wives to the altar. The Holy Spirit's been calling you to lead your marriage. And that starts today by grabbing your wife by the hand, man of God, and bringing her down to the altar. There's plenty of room. Come to the front. Get up here. I'm telling you right now is a moment where the heavens are parting above us. This place is thin and the Lord is setting hearts correctly towards him. If you're in here and you have prodigals come up to the carpet and come to the altar and get on your knees right now, the Lord, like Elijah, is turning the hearts of the father towards the heart of their children. And right now, prodigals are being summoned home right now when we approach him rightly all bets are off the bank is open the kingdom is at hand everything is being made available in this moment i'm telling you that which comes low will be brought high and there is a place where jesus says come up here and i'll show you and trust you with all that must come so father i pray Father, give us a heart after you. Give us a heart after your heart. Come. Show us the blue flame, the Shekinah glory. The parts of your heart that you've held behind a veil because men and women weren't ready for the fullness thereof. And may you find a man and a woman in this house today to say, come Lord, burn me in the fullness thereof and I will cherish and I will guard and I will steward and I will grow the blue flame. In Jesus' name, we sing thank you.